Welcome to the Fried Hartman Leadership Podcast from the Center for Excellence in Spiritual Leadership, the podcast dedicated to developing and encouraging spiritual leaders for the kingdom. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 9. This is your host, Dr. Josh Ketchum with Fried Hartman University, and we're so excited to have you listening to our program today, and I'm excited to have uh, Dr. Ryan Frazier with us. Uh, welcome, Dr. Frazier. It's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. So uh, tell me about your, your work here at Fried Hartman and what you're involved in. Yeah, I've, uh, I'm in my 18th year at uh, Fried Hartman. Uh, my first 13 years was in clinical mental health counseling, so I taught primarily in the, the uh, MS in uh, mental health counseling uh, program. And uh, about five years ago, transitioned over to the Graduate School of Theology and, and uh, College of Biblical Studies. Mm -hmm. And uh, I uh, coordinate the Youth and Family Ministry Program and the Master's in Pastoral Care and Counseling Program. And so... Um, teach a, a variety of undergrad and grad classes in, in ministry, Bible, and uh, pastoral counseling. Yes, one of my colleagues here, and so so much a pleasure to work with you and appreciate all the work you do in many areas. And if, if anyone's out there interested in a uh, graduate degree in pastoral care and counseling, which is what, Dr. Frazier? What, how would you put that degree? What, what, what would it help them do? Yes, um, it's an it's a integration type of degree where... Half the courses are, are um, in the counseling field, actually the clinical side, and half of them are more uh, theological and ministry. It's a 48-hour master's. We're about to expand it to have a licensure track. In the state of Tennessee, you can become a licensed clinical pastoral therapist, and I, I hold that designation in, in the state with the, the Board of Health. And um, so... We've got folks that get that get into this program that are men and women. Um, some of them are um, seeking just to improve their skills in in their ministry context, um, and that might be on on the mission field. We've got several folks that are missionary people and others um, here in the states, and so for some it's just to supplement or to get better equipped in a a church ministry context. And then for others that are in the program, they're looking either to work for a nonprofit organization or um, actually work in a faith-based agency or eventually go into private practice as a, a pastoral counselor um, coming from a Christian perspective. So um, it, it's – and others going into chaplaincy. I forgot to mention that chaplaincy. So mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a great degree. It's very integrative of um, the social sciences and theology and spirituality. Yes, yeah, so check that out and uh, reach out to Fried Hartman University if you're interested in that. So today I'm glad to have you on the show, and we're going to be talking about uh, depression. This was a listener-requested uh, topic, and, and you were eager to handle that, and I'm so thankful you're willing to come on and talk about this issue of, of when church leaders, either as a minister, elder, deacon, or their wives, or in other roles or capacities as a church leader— face depression in their own life. There, there seems to sometimes be a stigmatism about acknowledging that. And w what have you seen um, keeps people as church leaders from acknowledging this? And how is that dangerous? Mm. That's an excellent question. And um, I, I'm so glad to have this opportunity to speak about it. I, I've been blessed um, over my 35 years of ministry to work with a um, several preachers, missionaries, 
elders and their wives um, with this issue. And the stigma, um, maybe the taboo that many feel is a sense of um, if I was stronger in my faith or if I was a better Christian or better Christian leader, I would not have these struggles, mm -hmm. you know, with, uh, with depression or with different uh, at the clinical level or just different shades of the blue that, that I call it. And um, uh, for many in ministry, they may perhaps feel, and I've worked with elders that feel that they need to um, evac evacuate their ministry or step down from it because they think that having a mental health struggle somehow disqualifies them. Um, from that role, and, and the fear as well that, um, that maybe if others find out about it, if they're transparent about it or disclose their issue, that uh, they might get fired, you know, from their, their job or uh, might lose credibility. And the fact is, the, that is a, in my opinion, that is a lie that the devil tells to keep to maintain this conspiracy of silence on this issue um, and to suffer in silence because uh, from what I've observed those that that struggle through some of these issues and with these issues it uniquely equips them to minister to others that are in a similar boat who better to help somebody with anxiety or depression than than a counselor or a minister or an elder that knows firsthand what that's like mm -hmm. um, and has learned um, learnt, uh, through the grace of God maybe some ways to, to better cope with it, not to, not to completely eradicate it necessarily, but to better manage it. And as I think about 2 Corinthians 1, with the comfort we receive, we, we pass on to others. So to... Um, have that insider perspective. I'm gonna, I'll keep quiet for now on that, but I've got some great illustrations uh, along those lines of, of men and women I've worked with that uh, were thinking about getting off the mission field or getting out of ministry or getting out of the resigning from the eldership that I said, no, you may not. We need people mm -hmm. that have that firsthand um, uh, perspective and are really uniquely equipped uh, to uh, be a resource, a, a very res valuable resource mm -hmm. in the church and, and the community. That's great. So instead of seeing it as a weakness, you're saying see it as a strength in Christ, mm -hmm. as something that you can use to minister and serve to others. So, um, so what are some signs that a leader may be dealing with depression that they may be tempted to try to deny and say, you know, this is just... Um, this is just normal things. It's really not a, a case of depression. Or, and what are some signs that maybe they need to, to, <laughs> to view it actually as depression and, and trying to get some help? Yeah, um, and, and let's, for the sake of this podcast, we need to differentiate between kind of the normal blues. You know, every, everyone has cases of the blues from mm -hmm. time to time, unless you're superhuman. Uh, we all have our ups and downs, but. Um, I think what's separate, where it becomes uh, more problematic, I don't want to pathologize it, but where it becomes more problematic is when it's affecting a person's daily functioning. Mm. 
and um, it's uh, maybe negatively impacting the ability to sleep. So they're dealing with the insomnia or the other side, they're sleeping too much all the time and the, their energy is so, um, so low. Um, sometimes a, a symptom of depression that comes out in anger at the most um, inopportune moments, um, it's a symptom and it might happen in their family um, with their, uh, their spouse or children or um, dealing in a, uh, working in a church uh, ministry, multi-staff setting or with a, a member of the congregation. It can impact their preaching and just their perspective um, because uh, on the clinical side, it's a, it's a neurological, it's a um, neurochemical imbalance uh, with uh, serotonin, dopamine are not functioning right. So it's, it's a medical condition and um, can definitely impact a person's ability to function in a healthy way and just uh, it distorts thinking. It, it, everything looks doom and gloom, you know, mm -hmm. and um, um, untreated, it can definitely rob somebody's joy in mm -hmm. ministry and contribute to um, burnout in, mm -hmm. in ministry. So if you see these symptoms and other family members and others start bringing up these symptoms, uh, what would you recommend that the church leader uh, do as the next step? If it's themselves, um, mm -hmm. if they're struggling with it, there is... Uh, First of all, find a, find a trusted leader, you know, in, in ministry or in the eldership just to, to uh, maybe share um, rather than keeping it bottled in to share some of, of their thoughts and their struggles in a, in a confidential mm -hmm. type of setting. Um, but I, I would definitely recommend that that person, uh, that minister, and I, I work with lots of ministers and elders, missionaries in, in a clinical setting um, to seek counseling, seek, seek help from someone that can, can listen and um, help and maybe provide some resources to help ameliorate these, these symptoms. Um, uh, Josh, I, I think about, I'm sorry, Dr. Ketchum. No, no, Josh, Josh is fine. <laughs> and good, I'm Ryan. We're, yeah, um, we'll, we'll go with that. I'm Ryan, okay. Um, I think about um, years ago, um, and, uh, one of the elders in our congregation in Texas, he's now deceased, but a wonderful, wonderful elder, such a compassionate person. And I, I served in that congregation for over eight years as the pulpit minister. Um, one day he, he contacted me, he said, Ryan, I need to talk to you. And uh, I had a feeling, I, I'd been noticing, you know, he just just from his affect and uh, just the way he'd kind of suddenly withdraw from others. Um, I knew that he had a background of clinical depression um, in his, his past and it de dealt with it. Um, he wanted to come talk and I was so glad, so glad that he had the courage. Mm -hmm. That takes a lot of courage and a lot of humility to, to come and lay yourself bare, especially if you're the elder and you're talking to the preacher. <laughs> But he came to, came to talk, and we went into uh, the library at the church building and closed it off. And I said to him, brother, I'm not going to use, I won't use his name right now for his family's confidentiality sake. But I, I just said, brother, um, do you need me to put on my counselor hat right now or my minister hat? Or what, what do you need from me right now? And uh, he said, Ryan, just I need you to put your counselor hat on. I said, okay, let's... Uh, Let's go, right? Mm -hmm. So I put my counselor hat on, and um, 
he start, I asked him how I could be helpful, and he started describing this, these symptoms, depression mm-hmm. symptoms, and we got into a conversation about um, how he had once been on medication for it, but it made him feel weak spiritually, and he thought, and you know, and also when he got to feeling better, he thought, well, I, I can do without it. So he got an office medication uh, for an antidepressant medication, and which was the wrong thing to do in his in his unique situation. Mm-hmm. And um, we had a good conversation. He he had told me he was thinking about stepping down from the eldership. I said, no, sir. We we've got several members in our congregation that deal with depression that I I know of and that you know of. And I said, what a great resource you are, you know, to the congregation that you have this firsthand, um, this firsthand experience, but uh, you need to respect your own limitations with this and rec- recognize that you might, you need to go back to your primary physician and let's get you back on medication and uh, get you, get you balanced again, you know, and by the way, he served for a number more years as an elder. After I, even after I'd left, and I, uh, he again uh, passed away a few years ago. But um, just that that recognition, his self recognition. Hey, I need some help outside of my myself. Mm-hmm. I can't pray myself out of this. I can't read the Bible my out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, he needed to to come talk, and uh, get get some support and some accountability. You know, with it, and then. The permission and maybe normalization to realize, hey, you're you're not alone. You're with many godly men and women, even in Scripture that we might talk about in a moment that struggled with the mental health. And let's 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 be realistic about it, but let's be proactive, and be faithful in self care, mm-hmm. as well as um, so that you're able to care for others, so that you're able to be present to others. So we often we often see it as a lack of faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lack of prayer, a lack of, uh, of strength, and but we relate that different than we do physical illness, don't we? We do. You know, if it was uh, if it was cancer, if it was uh, some other ailment, we would not diabetes. Yeah, diabetes. We wouldn't see that as a physical, as a weakness, mm-hmm. or as a lack of faith. Um, so how how do you uh, overcome that, and how do we educate about that? Man, I hit the jackpot being on the show today. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, I, I love talking about this because it, it's such a it's a bigger issue than we realize. With, with statistically and and, mm-hmm. and including in ministry, um, there's there's such a need. Um, first of all, I think um, uh, I talk about the three R's, mm-hmm. right? In in my uh, I wrote a book called Overcoming the Blues. Yeah, I like to. I want to want yeah. you to mention that. Yeah, and yeah. so go ahead and and promote that book because that's, sure. that's a resource out there that goes into more. So go ahead and mention sure. that. Sure. Um, yeah, it, it took me a number of years to write it. It's called Overcoming the Blues, and the subtitle is Finding Christ-Centered Joy and Hope Through Serving Others. Mm-hmm. And uh, the book, um, it deals with all, uh, all sides of depression from a spiritual perspective, psychological perspective, physical perspective, uh, ministry perspective, and uh, I, I touch a little bit in the book on uh, some anxiety issues too, but primarily it's very narrative-based. I share a lot of my, my own story, my family's story, mm-hmm. and, um, and just some resources that over the years in, in ministry and in, through my education, I um, in pastoral theology and pastoral counseling, and then in my practice as, mm-hmm. a, as a counselor, um, 
just just to help resource the church. It's written at a popular level. It's written for mm -hmm. people in the pews and um, available on Amazon or anywhere else um, that you, you look. It's available. Mm -hmm. I'll put that in a link to that in the yeah. show notes, too. Thank you. Thank you. But um, we kind of uh, side wound. I want to get back to the, yeah, the, get, the get topic. Back to, get back, back to the, okay, the three R's. So uh, the first R um, is to recognize God's abiding presence to recognize God's abiding presence in your life, even when it feels like God is a million miles away, just like uh, in Psalm 22, which Jesus is quoting, mm -hmm. probably quoting all the psalm when he's on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm -hmm. Which is a, it's a lament psalm, but uh, if you read Psalm 22, the end ends up like lament psalms. It ends up on the lily pad of praising God and, mm -hmm. and acceptance, um, realizing our our acceptance by God, that God sees us, he, he, he's able to, to help us. So uh, recognizing God's abiding presence. The, the second R is respecting your limitations. I'm sorry, this, I got ahead of myself. The second R is reaching out to others, mm. um, which, is, which has to do with through service, which brings us out of, out of, um, out of uh, isolation into reconnection, so serving others and then also reaching out in the sense of asking for help. Um, sometimes as human beings, we need help that we can't find from within our own resources. So reaching out to others and then uh, third, respecting your limitations, realizing that um, uh, part of our finitude as human beings and as ministers is uh, that we, there are limits to what we can do. There are limits to our, our knowledge, there are limits limits to our energy, there's limits to our emotional energy, and um, sometimes we need, again, resources outside of ourselves. And so, so, too, pride is the opposite of that. People that, that um, refuse to accept their own limitations, and to respect their limitations, and want to have that messianic complex. Mm -hmm. uh, I teach my counseling students all the time. Uh, I have them stand up in class every semester. And I have them repeat after me, there is only one Savior, and I am not he. There's only one Savior, and I am not he. So realizing our, the limitations to what we can do. And um, so uh, the, the book, um, uh, Overcoming the Blues, focuses a lot on, on different angles uh, on those three um, kind of motifs mm -hmm. you know, in, in the book. But... On, on the, uh, and I'm going to turn it, I'm talking too much. Oh, let, me, let me have you go on. I, I know there's some scripture I want to look at you in a moment, but um, well, when you're, right there. You're, those are some really good points for, our, for us to consider. And so when you're thinking about uh, this, this idea of, of a church leader facing depression, and is it, one of the questions that I thought of that I wanted to ask you is, is it sometimes situational driven? In other words, what, what's bringing that on, and what are some things that a church leader could be facing in their ministry or with their family that, that might be bringing on the depression? Um, and Because in, in some ways, ministry, you, you're carrying so much burden. Yes. And, and you have so many irons in the fire, so much work, so many expectations. And there's this serious, for, for elder shepherds, you know, there's this serious accountability for souls. They're watching over the souls. And so that's weighing on your heart and your mind. So how does this all kind of contribute to 
what may be coming out in depression. Mm-hmm. Do you well, see that? Is, yes. that a, is that an accurate thought? Uh, that's an excellent, excellent question. Uh, I'm talking about situational type of de- uh, depression. And um, sometimes, uh, so I, uh, just to speak more holistically about this, sometimes a, a minister might um, be a bit more emotionally sensitive in some ways. Anyway, you know, yeah. j- just they're, they're, they've got a big heart and um, they're empathic, mm-hmm. um, giving, giving, giving all the mm-hmm. time and maybe not receiving mm-hmm. or uh, feeding their own soul, you know, mm-hmm. and, and psyche in the process. And so trying to determine, again, is this, is this genetic, you know, is there genetic propensity to this? Mm-hmm. Are we dealing with some uh, neurochemical imbalance or, and or is it a, something that's been triggered um, by a situation in ministry. So some situations can, can inf- include external pressure, um, kind of uh, members of the congregation put a minister up on a pedestal mm-hmm. and have these unrealistic expectations of their, their time and their energy, and so the minister is maybe not, um, it may be a bit younger in ministry or not as good as establishing healthy boundaries mm-hmm. with their time and their energy and Again, respecting their own limitations, knowing, hey, we need to we need to sleep sometime. We, we need rest yes. as well. Okay, so being on call twenty four seven, that no one can sustain that. Jesus in his ministry, he had to get away mm-hmm. from the crowds, from his disciples, to be with his father at times and to rest, right in his human embodied form. And so, um, so just the the external demands. I think uh, flip other side, the internal demands, and so. If somebody gets into ministry for the right reasons, they're getting in because they're soul-centered. They wanted to praise God. They wanted to pour themselves out in ministry. And so they might have some really high, and I hope they do have really high expectations for professionalism and and spiritual leadership of themselves. But that's a two-edged sword. Sometimes those are unrealistic expectations. Um, Or maybe um, in a more legalistic um, setting or uh, maybe a more hyper-conservative church uh, setting to um, have perfectionistic ideals mm-hmm. that don't make space for grace and, mm-hmm. and don't allow for, as the Apostle Paul sp- speaks about in Second Corinthians 12, um, he, he says, God said, my grace is sufficient for mm-hmm. you. I, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul recognizing for when I am weak, then I am strong, right? Mm-hmm. So recognizing the the need to lean on God and lean on God's people. So there's internal issues. A third issue, I think, that really can con- contribute um, to a ministerial depression is uh, familial issues. Maybe things aren't going so great in their marriage or uh, parenting the kids or even the grown kids. And you've got all those home pressures that, that just eat away at you, you know, and... Um, Maybe, uh, of course, ministers often live in a glass house or a fishbowl and are needing to maybe be able to close the curtains a little bit and and seek some, maybe seek some help for their marriage and their, their family. And um, they maybe feel so isolated and un- unable to ask anybody, hey, I need, I need some help. And, and so there's that, sh- that shame that might be surrounding that and maybe fear. Mm-hmm. Um, that if others find out, again, I'm going to lose credibility, maybe I'll lose my job. 
you know, and so um, that puts an inordinate amount of pressure and stress. And then uh, just one fourth area, I think it's just the demands of ministry. Ministry is demanding. Um, we can suffer from burnout and compassion fatigue and um, not taking enough time for rest, vacation, um, getting away from ministry. And um, uh, we start seeing uh, the church as, um, uh, and the members of the church as always being on the take. And, and our perspective can become distorted and we can lose the joy in, in ministry. We need times, we need, we need, we need sabbaticals. Um, that we're not living under the old law, the, the principle of uh, rest is still there. And uh, we find our rest in Jesus. We will also find rest in recreation and uh, time away from ministry, time with our family, trying to time to pour into our marriage, um, spending time with our children and with friends, you know, that um, go hiking or I, I play music with a group of guys. It's life-giving for me, and I, I need that. It's mm -hmm. it's therapeutic to me. I, I need that break from the, the, the work of ministry and work of Christian education. Yeah, you understand what you're talking about. You, For our audience sake, you serve as a preacher, as an elder mm -hmm. uh, at a local church here, and then you're also full-time here at Fried Harmon teaching, uh, both on the graduate and undergraduate level. So you have a lot of irons in the fire, too, and a lot of yes, sir. A lot of things you're dealing with. Um, and so you're living out these things. So what, what Bible passages would be helpful in this area? Oh, thank you for asking. <laughs> <laughs> I got my Bible primed open to my, my favorite initial one. Did, yes. you, did you want to say something? No, no. All right. Um, I, I speak a lot around the country. I actually just was recently up in Winchester, mm -hmm speaking at, at churches and different organizations on this topic, mm -hmm. you know, on mental health, walking with God through mental health challenges. And um, often my first place to take them is Psalm 42. And Psalm 42, um, it's not by David. It's by one of the priestly sons of Korah. Mm -hmm. um, beautiful psalm. And often, uh, you know, in our, in our worship times, we love the song, As the deer pants for the water, mm -hmm. right? So my soul longs after you. So we... We sing that, we focus on that aspect, but uh, we kind of lose the context of the song. <laughs> and that's great. I, I love, by the way, I love that song. But context, context, context. What, what is this psalm actually about? Mm -hmm. And we're going to see in a moment, I'm going to read some of it. It's about a, a priest that is struggling emotionally and spiritually. He is struggling in his soul. He, he, is, um, he is in despair and he is having to battle, battle the darkness of depression that's coming upon him. And so it says this. Let's read together, reading from the ESV. As the deer pants for streams or for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Okay, so that's the song, all right? We stop there. Read on, my brothers and sisters, all right? So verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and, and songs of praise and the multitude-keeping festival. Okay, so we sing this nostalgia. He is longing for days gone by, for the good days, because right now he's not in the good days. Mm -hmm. Right now, he is deep in despair and um, maybe feeling isolated, maybe feeling distant from God. And he's, he's, he's crying out to God 
in this, this psalm. Look at verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Okay, so we see this, this suffering, you know, these waves. I don't think these are waves of love necessarily. These are waves of um, he's just feeling like he's in the ocean, just being knocked down wave after wave after wave and um, or in the, under this waterfall. And so by day the Lord commands his steadfast love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Verse 9, I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? All right, there's the Psalm 22 concept. Mm -hmm. Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? So speaking about these external, whether this is a literal enemy or um, in church maybe opposition that we, as leaders and criticism that we face often in ministry. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? And so uh, these adversaries might have been uh, Hebrew, Jewish, maybe not. Maybe these external. Verse 11, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is a lament psalm. This is a, um, it's, so many of us have those highs and those lows, and we wonder, God, where are you? And it, 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 it draws us to God. It, it pulls us towards him because we recognize, like the son of Korah, this priest or Levite, I cannot do this alone. I cannot keep on going like this. Josh, I used to believe um, before, and I'm, uh, my book goes into this. I'm not going to take time to get into it, but my family went through, through some excruciating ordeals, excruciating ordeals, including cancer, kidney transplant, struggles in adoption, I mean, just multiple things um, that went on. Um, my wife's depression that this perpetuated, she comes by it honestly, too, mm -hmm. through genetics. She was passively suicidal, uh, which we're very open about this. Um, desperately needed medication for it. I felt helpless as her husband, mm -hmm. helpless to, to know what to do. And there were times, Josh, that I found myself in a Ronald McDonald room in um, Fort Worth when we were living there when my son was um, dealing with leukemia. I found myself on the face, on my face, lying prost prostrate on the ground, um, just crying out to God, um, saying, God, I, I, I cannot handle this. This is more than I can, I can bear. And... I remember God coming coming to the rescue. There being knocks on the door and people showing up when I needed them to show up. I remember my wife uh, going through a transplant in the hospital uh, some 16 years ago, having a note on the door. The note said, "For he is weak. Oh, I'm sorry, I am weak. I am weak, but he is strong. And she wasn't talking about this old boy here. She's mm -hmm. talking about her God in heaven who's all-powerful. Um, but in, in the midst of that, my theology changed. My theology changed. I used to believe 
that God will never give us more than we can handle. I challenge you to show me in the Bible where it says that. It does not say that. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that with temptation, yeah, every temptation, mm -hmm. he will provide a way of escape. He won't tempt us, tempt us. Different word from test us. He won't tempt us beyond what we're able to handle. So my faith um, was put through the um, crucible. And um, uh, my theology was put to the test. And on the other side, where I've, where I've landed, where I'm at now, I think, is recognizing there are times in our life where they emotionally, physically, spiritually, through grief, other things that we deal with, that uh, we do have more. We're, we're allowed to have more than we can handle testing, just like Job. He had more than he could handle. Mm -hmm. And it's in those times that we realize, I've got to let God handle this. I've got to let God handle this. I can't handle this. It's, it's more than I can bear. And again, Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, 10, um, for when I'm weak, uh, then I'm strong. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we, I think, lean into, um, lean into our faith, and we lean into God, and we lean into his people, we lean into our brothers and sisters in ministry, um, and we realize we're not an island, and we, we need each other in ministry. Um, guys, guys that are lone rangers out there are a danger to themselves and others. We need each other in ministry to sustain us, to find the resources and uh, the strength to keep on, keep on chugging, keep on going forward. We I appreciate so much, Ryan, your sharing of your personal story and just all of this great stuff from the Bible teaching to the uh, counseling perspectives. So really one thing that, that I'm taking from this, too, is that we often have a culture that just elevates happiness and this expectation of joy and happiness, and that <laughs> goes within the church, too. Yeah. And if you look back through Scripture, we see so many godly characters who overall their life had deep times of darkness. Elijah, Moses, Abraham. Yes. The, Hannah. David. David. Paul. Mm -hmm. I mean. Jesus. Jesus. And it's like we, we expect everybody to be happy, and if our life's not happy, something's wrong. Mm -hmm. But yet the, the biblical narrative demonstrates that many times in life we're not going to be happy, that there's going to be, great, there's going to be great challenges in life, aren't there? That's profound. That's profound, you know, and I think that uh, that narrative idea of this happiness, we live in a, a happiness culture, a, a, um, a uh, pleasure-based type of culture. For Christians often, the I think um, we'll look at those multiple verses that talk about being to be strong and courageous or to fear not, mm -hmm. to not worry. You know, mm -hmm. Jesus talks about not worrying about tomorrow, uh, Matthew 6. And we use, maybe use those verses to beat ourselves up. But that's not the point. The point of the verses, they're there to inspire us, to encourage us, to normalize. Paul speaks about the anxiety that he had over the churches, mm -hmm. you know. Jesus, uh, sweat drops like blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. That was not a happy time. Mm -hmm. And so I think coming back to this, the notion um, and this terrible um, not not accurate gospel, this wealth and health type of gospel that's pro promoted on television and unfortunately sometimes in some of our pulpits. Um, when we go back to John 10, 10, where Jesus says, I came, you know, 
um, came to give life and give it to the full, that, uh, that I own, that um, Zoe I own Ion, that uh, life eternal concept. And he talks about how the, de the, the wolf or the thief comes in to steal and destroy and kill, but I've come to give life and give it more abundantly. What does an abundant life look like? Well, uh, Jesus tells us in John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble. Yeah. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And so we're not after happiness, we're after joy. Joy is based on our relationship with God. We can have joy in the midst of a Philippian prison mm -hmm. with Paul and Silas singing songs at the top of their lungs while they're in stocks mm -hmm. at midnight, realizing again that, um, that our joy... Um, in the Lord is not contingent on what's happening to us and even at times how we're feeling necessarily but our joy comes from recognizing the covenant that God has with us the promises he's made to us one of those promises being that he will never leave us he'll never forsake us um, and through he'll walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death um, and so we can know that he, he is with us and we can know that he's going to sustain us and however it ends up that uh, we're going to be okay because um, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Yes. Well, Ryan, this has been so helpful. And I, and I would just, you know, just close, I think, by just wanting to encourage our listeners out there that, number one, to think about your church leaders, you know, elders, think about their ministers, think about their youth ministers and the challenges they face. Think about your fellow elders, fellow deacons, and and also realize that, that this is something that you may be dealing with in your life, and don't be ashamed of that, but reach out and get help. Uh, think about uh, how you can then serve as a resource to others, Amen. and this does not disqualify you from ministry, but in many ways this qualifies you from ministry because as you look, you stand in the lineage of a great many saints who've gone before and struggled with the same thing. Including, by the way, people like Martin Luther. Yeah. And uh, people like um, uh, Charles Spurgeon, mm -hmm. some of the, you know, from time gone by, some of these, these uh, ones that struggle with the, the dark night of the soul, mm -hmm. like St. John of the Cross and others. So um, we learn a lot through the midst of this pain, and it does, uh, amen to what you said. I think it uniquely qualifies us, uniquely equips us, gives us a built-in radar to be able to spot struggles in others and uh, be part of the solution rather than part of the stigma. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to add before we close out? Yeah, uh, my thought is just don't try go it alone. Don't, don't isolate. Um, um, if you're a, a minister, a minister's wife, elder, elder's wife, deacon, deacon's wife, missionary, um, I, I think um, one of the, the devil's greatest tools for blowing people out of ministry is by dividing and conquering and um, uh, diminishing the sense that we, we ought to be part of a community of care. And we care for each other. Galatians 6 talks about bearing each other's burdens. Um, and we do that in love and, and, and non-judgmental. And, and also, maybe you're not struggling with this yourself, but be empathic, be understanding to those that are. Don't judge them. Give them a safe place to, to share. It might be another minister friend that you know. Normalize and say, "Hey, you're not you're not alone," mm -hmm. and uh, let's let's get you the let's get you the help that you need.
because God's not through with you yet. And uh, maybe through this, you're going to come out on the other side better, stronger, and uh, more gifted in, in ministry. Amen. Well, thank you for listening today. We encourage you to check out the other episodes of our seasons, and we look forward to being with you again uh, next time on the FHU Leadership Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fried Harmon Leadership Podcast. For more great content and to see the services the Center for Excellence in Spiritual Leadership offers your local congregation, please visit www.supportingspiritualleadership.com. Until next time, remember, God uses ordinary people to lead His people into extraordinary feats.